0: You are listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There have been thousands and thousands and thousands of words written about the Flint water crisis since it's first visited with us here in the state of Michigan, and most of that has been in newspapers and in magazines. But recently, we started to get books published about the Flint water crisis. And one that is getting a lot of attention for very good reasons is called The Poison City. It recounts the gripping story of Flint's poison water through the people who caused it, the people who suffered from it, and the people who exposed it. It is written by local author Anna Clark, and she joins me now to talk about the book and her work. Anna, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I I have to, of course, start with the phenomenal reception you have gotten for this book. Uh, I knew when you first started talking about this book that it would be of high interest uh, to people because there is a lot of curiosity about the questions that surround the Flint Water Crisis in terms of how it happened and uh, how it was discovered and exposed. Uh, but I, I was surprised uh, at how much uh, enthusiasm there has been. I mean, it really has been a remarkable, remarkable uh, reaction to this, to this book. I, I imagine that that surprise is living with you ten times as much as it is with anybody else. I
1: am <laughs> very surprised and in a daze, but really glad that I have this opportunity to finally you know, have these conversations with people about um, the ki- the 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 kinds of things that I've been obsessed with for the last few
0: years. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really wonderful, including uh, the New York Times book review yesterday, which featured uh, your book along with several others, including uh, Mona Hanna Atisha's book about Flint on the cover mm-hmm. uh, of that review. And, and inside, of course, there was a very, very glowing review of, of your work that had to that had to feel very special.
1: <laughs> I, I, I I don't even see I don't even know what to say. I'm stuttering. I'm a writer and I and I'm and I'm losing You're my out words. Of it's, word, right? I, it's, it's really exciting. And it's a little conflicted too, right? You know, because like of course I'm, you know, I've I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to have have a book out there that people are reading. But of course it's also a very complicated and sad story too. Mm-hmm. And and that and that um and and that trying to I want to make sure I stay focused on that because, you know, the main the main the main thing here is what happened to Flint and less what's happening to me.
0: Sure, sure. So so let's talk about the book and the story that unfolds inside of it. Uh, a lot of people, I think, uh, believe they know a lot about the, the, the Flint water crisis. Uh, in this book, I, I think it's fair to say you learn a lot of things that you wouldn't have known before. And the way that that you're able to sort of take people through the detail of what happened and why, I think is is incredibly impressive. Talk about, from your perspective, though, what you want people to come away from reading this book believing that they maybe didn't know or believe before.
1: Right. So, yes. Um. So, I'm a journalist. I've written, I write articles, mm-hmm. you know, but having the opportunity to do this, like, longer look at a complicated story is has been great because mm-hmm. it is... It is a bigger story um, than uh, can be fit into just sort of one dispatch or another, you know. What I really wanted to do was talk about what made the city of Flint vulnerable in the first place. You Mm -hmm. know, the history Mm -hmm. of um, urban policies that um, systematically disinvested in it and other cities, including here in Detroit. And also, you know, um, more contemporary policies that I don't think have gotten a lot of attention, like um, Michigan's... um, um, the diminishment of revenue sharing to Mm -hmm. cities across Michigan. I know that's something you've paid a lot of attention to Mm -hmm. Um, and um, really try to make sure that when people um, read this book, they not only have an understanding of like, you know, just the basic cause and effect, what happened in Flint since this, you know, the water switch in 2014 and what's still happening. um, But also make sure that we're looking at this, you know, with the kind of context and nuance and backstory that um, helps us to, uh, better see what's going on, and hopefully, um, change sees this as an opportunity to change how we do things yeah. in the future.
0: Yeah, uh, the complexity of this problem, I think, is one of the things that that sometimes gets glossed over in the popular narrative about it. The the, the many different moving parts that came together to cause this uh, this this health crisis, um, and, and as you point out, this is this is a, a long, long story, right? Uh, Flint didn't. Wake up in 2014, change the water, and all of a sudden have this this problem. Uh, this goes back decades to not just uh, federal policy, but also state policy with regard to cities, but also with regard to to water and an environment. Uh, right. This is this is something that we all. Uh, have I think watched unfold for a really long time
1: right yeah and it's and, I mean it's so interesting because you know having the opportunity to get this book out there I'm having these conversations both with you know folks who've had this sort of more or less up-close experience of what's been going on in Flint like here in Michigan you know where um, you know we've had you know been following news story local news stories for years now mm-hmm. about what's been going on um, and also we're seeing you know how similar dynamics are playing out in other cities all across the state and then also having that opportunity to like have this um conversation outside of the state where you know in a lot of ways the um, patterns are very much the same there's disinvested shrinking cities all over the country um a lot of the same dynamics are at play but also there's some unusual things that um you know i have to um explain for example emergency management i think that's like even now um it's still sort of a thing that. Um, um people outside the state don't quite don't quite understand like how right. that works, why it's done and what it's why people support it and why people oppose it. Yeah.
0: Well, and at the same time when we talk about Flint now, I think people talk about the water crisis as though it's almost over or over, right? right. And that we're moving forward with a, a sort of new dynamic in that city. And I I guess I'm always hesitant to say that because while the immediate causes of the water crisis are, are being addressed which is uh, the pipes uh, that 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 bring water to people's houses and and the way that uh, the, you know the source that that water comes from these bigger questions about cities and the environment and the support for cities they haven't been they haven't been answered uh, one of the things that uh, it says in the promotions for your book is that cities like flint are set up to fail mm-hmm. and that's still true. It is, game.
1: it is. I mean, this is like, I mean, I know um, here in Detroit we and you in particular have spent a lot of time talking about, for example, um, the Kerner Report from 50 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. had this, you know, the urban crisis of the 20th century as embodied by like Watts and Detroit and then there's this like presidential commission that comes in and evaluates it and is actually, you know, goes, I think, deeper than a lot of people expected or remembered, you know, um, you know, and, and, and saying that essentially that, you know, we can't continue to neglect these, like, root causes of, like, systemic, you know, racism and disenfranchisement and inequality in these cities. And if we do nothing, here are the things, you know, that will happen. And in fact, we did do nothing, and mm-hmm. those things did happen. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's eerily prophetic. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do with the book is sort of say, here, f- here we are, you know, with Flint embodying what I think is the Urban crisis of the twenty first century, and much the same as what we had before, only pr- prolonged and progressed, and with some like new, different dynamics. You know, like um, uh, you know, environmentalism and some of the other things that kind of come into play um, uniquely in Flint. And what, while it can be overwhelming and disheartening, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I does give me hope is that you know, it just. The, how 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 we can see the consequences of our actions like we if we have like set these cities up a field, if we have set up a number of intersecting policies that um, created had such serious results we can choose otherwise yes, you know right. and those and those positive affirmative intentional actions to untangle this can be similarly effective you know we just have to find the political will and resources to take it seriously and just as they said 50 years ago it's true again now there is literally nothing more important because you know as we're seeing in flint lives are really on the line they yes. really are
0: yes This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Anna Clark, local journalist and author of The Poisoned City, Flint's Water and the Urban American Tragedy. It's a new book about the Flint water crisis. It is getting a lot of attention for very good reasons. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, call and tell us uh, what you think of the Flint water crisis at this juncture. Uh, If you've read Anna's book, uh, we would love to hear what you think about it. If you have questions for Anna about her reporting and research that led to this book, uh, the number on the phones, as always, is 313 1019 That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the the conversation. Uh, Anna, last week we saw Governor Snyder and several other officials removed as defendants in the Flint water crisis legal saga. Uh, I'm really curious, uh, after all of the time you spent looking at how this happened, what your reaction is to that development.
1: Right. <laughs> well, w- well, I will say, first of all, like one of the reasons it was challenging to Finish the book and turn it in. Is that there is so much that is unanswered and yes. undone, right? Yes. And the legal story is, of course, you know, prominent in people's minds. And it's it's truly going to take just years and years and years for all mm-hmm. this settles all this um settles down. So there's a class action suit you mentioned. There was another class action suit that's a, um had a settlement that is why these pipes are being replaced. There's I don't even know how many individual lawsuits um going on. And then of course the attorney general and governor candidates, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, criminal and civil investigation into, into these, um, into uh, a number of officials, mostly who, those who work at the state health and environmental departments. And it's, um, there's a lot going on with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the things that we're seeing, um, though, is that we're finding that the way our legal system is set up, both in the laws that we have and the legal structures we have, it's not very well equipped to deal with environmental disasters it's mm-hmm. just not mm-hmm. and this is and, the, and we've seen this outside of flint too even the most famous environmental cases nationwide like say the Aaron Brockovich case mm-hmm. out in California they always end in you know settlements with no admission of wrongdoing and right. that's like the greatest victory we can we can um, hold up you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and i think what we're finding with what's happening in flint is how difficult it is to trace Accountability, like we have, what is clearly what is clearly a man-made disaster. Yes. You know, it didn't have to happen. Active choices um, caused it to happen, and then allowed it to happen for far longer than it should have. Okay, so how do how do you trace how much? is responsible and who is responsible mm-hmm. there's this like tangle this there's this like um dynamic with bureaucracy where you know if it's everybody's fault it's nobody's fault you right. know right. um and that's even separate from the whole idea of like immunity for public officials mm-hmm. from that you think so it's what what, what what's happening in, in with the flint cases all of them you know the the lawsuits and the indictments and so on is i think we're um hitting up against some of the limits of what's possible, right? and um, we're also getting into the weird situation where, for example, the state is funding both the prosecution and the defense right. <laughs> of the case. I mean, it's right. just weird. It's yes. a weird situation, and, um, and what I hope that it um, does for folks who are watching this and do want to see um, just outcomes in a case like this and anything else that, God forbid, happens that's similar is... Um, is that, you know, if we need to, like, what can we do to um, um, sync up how our justice system works with how environmental um, disasters play out, which is generally they happen over time. You know, there's, you know, there's, um, um, you know, how do you prove these things? You know, what do you count as proof? You know, all those kind of things I think we need to wrestle with because, um, you know, if, I mean, if we want if we want justice, and I think right. we do, it's yeah. important. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there is this drive, and I think uh, among m- most people who who look at the Flint water crisis to to try to bring closure to it by saying it was this person's fault, and you mm-hmm. want to see some consequences meet out against that person. I mean, that's that's a natural human instinct. Do you think that will ever happen in this case?
1: I, I mean this. I'm not even trying to be cagey. I honestly don't know. I mean, this is one reason even though the book's not done, like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm done, you know? <laughs> like, I want to still be following this and writing about this and seeing mm-hmm. what happens. I really don't know because I think in a lot of ways this is uncharted territory, yeah. you know, not just statewide but nationwide. Um, and— um uh, And there's, and there's just so many variables at, you know, it's just, it's, it's very hard to predict. I think it is um, very natural for people to want someone or someone's held accountable for um, actions that cause them very real harm Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in the health of their families, in the stability of their homes and their own infrastructure, the, their city, their businesses. I mean, of course, and and I think that's especially true for a city that didn't have, you know, um, where this all played out, where they didn't have the um, the 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 full power of the other branches of government, namely yeah. their own local government. So they didn't have, you know, the power of like their mayor and the city council, as this was playing out. Um, the judicial branch is like one you know, mechanism of government of which they still had access. Of course, you know, they're looking for um, some accountability there. that's that's reasonable. That's how democracy is supposed to work.
0: Yeah. okay, we're gonna take a quick break. and when we come back, we're gonna talk more. With author Anna Clark about her life as a writer and her work, The Poison City, Flint's Water, and the Urban American Tragedy. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones 313 577 1019. Vernon in Auburn Hills, Teresa in Detroit. We will get to you. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Anna Clark. She's a local journalist and author of The Poison City, Flint's Water, and The Urban American Tragedy. We're talking about her book. We're talking about the Flint water crisis, uh, and we're talking about the future of cities here in the state of Michigan. Could something like what happened in Flint recur because we don't support cities the way we should. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019, that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Teresa in Detroit. Teresa, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hi, thank hey. you.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, I think I'm a social worker, and I see kids who have poisoning. and I think that the Flint water crisis mm-hmm. is a form of 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 genocide I think it, yes, definitely can happen again. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I think there's a certain political party that gives appoint- political appointments to hacks who don't know what they're doing. Mm. And that's what happened in Flint. The people had no idea they could poison people like that because they had no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And you can stop all that tomorrow.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa, yeah, tomorrow, Election Day, right? That's what you're <laughs> referring to, I assume. It's uh, Teresa, thanks very much for the the call uh, and the comments. You know that word "genocide" very powerful. Uh, there are a lot of other words been described uh, used to describe what happened in in Flint, but th- the the question of intentionality, I think, mm-hmm. is something that lurks in people's minds that that somehow this was a function of people uh, not caring about. Kids because they were African Americans, not caring about a city because it was majority African American. What is your sense of the power of that in this in this narrative? Given all the research you've done,
1: sure, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a big question, and and it's not actually the first time I've heard somebody use the word genocide to describe what happened there. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean that I think what people are trying to get at is like how how targeted it seems like this city has been and not just with the water crisis but just with this like with this you know just one emergency after another um over over years and also you know like the narrative of this is that the you know the city um, switched its water source because it wanted to um, save money, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. even that's like kind of conflicted when you like look back at it. There was a lot of disputing reports. It wasn't very clear at all that um, it was going to result in more affordable bills for people if they essentially built an entirely new water system and started treating it itself. It, it wasn't. It didn't actually. It, I mean, it's. It there's a lot. There's a lot that's very confusing about all yeah. this. And when people are trying to seek a rational, you know. Um, answer it comes down to like they just wanted to get rid of us you know i mean there's people who feel that with um like oh maybe they just wanted people just wanted the land Mm -hmm, you know maybe mm -hmm. they wanted to get the people out of the city and start over because they don't like poor people or a majority african-american um population they don't want it here um i mean i i mean i think this like speaks to this like very deep pain people are feeling and also you know this this sort of um The pain that this happened at all. And then, um, on top of a number of other, you know. Disasters that have gone on for decades and of which there has been no accountability for either. Mm -hmm. And then also, of course, the dismissiveness that went on for years. Because when you look back, I mean, residents were very literally speaking up about problems with the water within weeks of this switch, within weeks. And they're doing everything you should do. They're going to public meetings. They were, um, you know, issuing like complaints and questions to the city, state and federal governments, EPA, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, They were, they had protests. They did everything they could do. Um, They lobbied in Lansing. They mapped out where it seemed like water problems were showing up and they weren't heard. Yeah. And you know, and when and it's very difficult to see that as something that's separate from the fact that it is a largely poor, largely African American community that has historically been unheard and dismissed. It right. just it comes in context of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments Vernon in Auburn Hills. You're up next. Uh
2: thank you for taking my call, Stephen. Sure. Great show as uh, always. Thank you. I am have- I have to disagree with uh, the caller before me, and uh, it is not. I don't feel it's genocide. Um, When you take the lead levels, the worst lead levels that were recorded in Flint, they were far less than the lead levels in the city of Detroit in the 50s when they put those lead pipes in when they were brand new. That's when I grew up. We had lead paint. We were swimming in lead, but we, we had better test scores because we did our homework. We can't use lead as a crutch and as an excuse. Hmm. I think it's wrong.
0: Okay. I, uh, Vernon, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Anna, that's something that we're hearing not just from Vernon in Auburn Hills, uh, but from other people who say that our descriptions of what happened in Flint are hyperbolic. There was a uh, an op-ed in the New York Times that said, stop saying children in Flint were poisoned. Uh, they didn't like that term. Uh, there was uh, a piece in Mother Jones in February that talked about uh, stop saying that uh, lead in Flint turned children into idiots. Uh, th- th- there is this counter-narrative that says this was a bad thing to happen. It wasn't the worst thing.
1: Right. So, yes, um, that's true. There's And there's some things that I think I um, – Really connect with on that. Like for one, you know, the the, the this isn't a um, this generation of Flint children are you know bright and brilliant and beautiful people with futures ahead of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want I don't want how we talk about what happened to you know erase their potential. I don't want them to um, not believe in their own capabilities or their teachers or their families to believe in their own capabilities. And and it's absolutely true that um, the way lead works. Not all the folks are going to, you know, exhibit symptoms of lead poisoning. Right. They're just not, you know, right. and and that's partly true also because there's a lot of recovery efforts going on and expanded health care. And that's great, right. you know. And also, I agree with the caller that this isn't a, just a problem of Flint when it comes to lead. Right. We have lead. Um, uh running through um, the drinking water infrastructure of this entire country. We have in in poor and wealthier communities, um, we have the lead service lines as well as plumbing fixtures and um, other devices. Lead is one of the world's best-known neurotoxins. We mm-hmm. know it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a reason those pipes are now banned from... Um, you can't do it. You right. can't put them in anymore. But we never got rid of them. We never, like, extracted them. And now we have a, um, a real challenge to deal with here, right? Um, so absolutely, I think, like, communities outside of Flint need to be looking seriously at what's going on with their own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And we also need to think as a nation what we expect in our environmental regulations for drinking water, which does allow some lead in their water. But I also... Also think it's um, a unique situation that happened in Flint. I think poison is appropriate since any amount of lead is toxic, right, and right. of course, lead isn't the only problem that happened with water. And since
0: there. and since you exposed an entire city to this yep. uh, problem by making a choice, and I think that has uh, everything to do with it. Okay, Anna Clark. Local journalist and author of The Poison City, Flint's Water, and the Urban American Tragedy. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station and community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.